Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Ryan Brown is a professional drummer and percussionist in Los Angeles, California. In addition to his gig as the drummer for Dweezil Zappa, he plays with the Los Angeles-based bands The Young Royals, Black Belt Karate, Sex Tapes, AMFM, The Fuxitos, and Madras, and in the bands of artists Erica Rose, Kareem Maliki Sanchez, Colin Armstrong, Josh Canova, Space Oddity, and rapper Jay Naughty. Uh, Ryan can be heard on releases by Foreigner, Circus Diablo, Hannah Montana, Clay Aiken, Cassie Davis, Nick Lachey, Jesse McCartney, Heather Graham, Susie McNeil from Rockstar in Excess, and Stephanie McIntosh, as well as on movie soundtracks for Ice Age, Continental Drift, Kung Fu Panda, The Dark Knight. It goes on and on, and if I read this whole list of Ryan's credits, it would take up the whole episode, so we're going to pause it there. Uh, I will add, Ryan is on the drum faculty at Musicians Institute in Hollywood. So he's actively teaching as well. Ryan, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's yeah, an honor to be exciting. here. Very, very cool to have you, and we appreciate it. So uh, let's start off with your very first performance. You remember the very first time that you played live? Wow. First time I played live was would be a piano recital when I was six years old. Uh, I started taking piano lessons when I was six, took piano from when I was like six to 11. So probably be a piano recital, and then I, when I started playing band in school, I actually started on trumpet. So it would have been a like a concert band performance in fourth grade on trumpet. So nothing drum related. Okay, I was gonna say what? <laughs> yeah. everything but <laughs> right. Yeah, um, started playing drums when I was eleven. So that first drum performance I do remember was I was playing snare drum in concert band mm-hmm. uh, in sixth grade in sixth grade band. Um, and, I, and I do remember my, my first paid actual gig on drum set was at the University of Denver Student Union playing country music when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. So that, that sort of runs the gamut of wow. everything that could happen. <laughs> so let's go to, to the, uh, the <clears throat> piano where, where, yeah. where we started, okay? Like, do you recall like being nervous when you, when you had the recital or were you confident? What was the feeling? That is a great question, Jason. I, you know, I, I don't really remember being that nervous. I remember being more, more anxious. I remember thinking, did I, maybe I should have practiced more. Uh, Maybe I could be more prepared. Um, But it never really bothered me a whole lot, you know, getting not, you know, I, I think it affects everybody on some level. But getting in front of a room full of people, I remember getting like maybe a little sweaty, but it wasn't any big deal. There was no stage, stage fright or anything like that. But there was uh, that question of, have I practiced enough? Have I practiced enough? I, ha- I, I do remember in that moment, I remember where it was. It was in a church in, I'm from Denver. It was in a church in Denver. And I remember thinking, wow, maybe I should have practiced more to be more ready for this. And that's an ongoing thing. 
forever for all of us, right? Which is yeah. what I was fishing for. <laughs> was, yeah. yeah why we're here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. So you had, I mean, you did the performance. It went fine. You had practiced enough, most likely. Um, but wh- where does that come from for you? Like this, this doubt of, did I put in enough time when you are putting in enough time? Well, I guess you can, you can always put in more time. Like everybody has different lives and different things going on in their life. Mm-hmm. So I guess you, you do what you can do, but I, like over the course of me playing music since the time I was six, it, you, you do realize that, you know, the, the more prepared you are, you know, the more confident that you'll be in your performance, no matter mm-hmm. where the performance is, if it's a recital in front of five people or a concert in front of 10,000 people, that if you're ready for it and you practiced enough, then you'll feel more confident. There'll be a better performance overall. Did anyone so. teach you that? Or, or, or is this something just naturally that you came to understand? I feel like my mom probably had a massive part. In how, that. how so? She, she's not a professional pianist, but she's played piano her whole life. Mm-hmm. And she would always talk to me about practicing and, you know, and I think a lot of it's just, you know, just getting used to whatever instrument you're playing and just putting in the hours like that, the whole 10,000 hours mm-hmm. book that came out and just feeling comfortable holding it, being feeling comfortable playing it. Cause that translates, I feel like immediately, even if you're not the best musician in the world, as long as you're up there and in confident, feeling good about yourself and feeling good that you prepared but I, th- I think that that in large part came from her and, and my first piano teacher in Denver, Mrs. Hornyak, um, whom I've not seen for like 30 years probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that a, that a lot of that also probably went back to her. But it's probably, it wasn't a direct, it, they weren't pushing me to do that. They were just explaining the value of what this is what happens if you do put in the time. But you, you said they weren't pushing you, so you just would practice on your own i would yeah i've actually i've talked to my mom about this a lot because i have i have a kid now who is taking piano and i've i've asked her i because i didn't really remember if i if she made me practice you know or if i wanted to and she said that uh, she never had to make me practice because i always wanted to do it hmm. and and she wanted me to practice more or would have liked for me to practice more but she said i every day i would just naturally gravitate to going over to the piano and playing for you know 10 minutes a day which when you're six 10 minutes is it's great is i think that's time. pretty rare at that age so and and yeah, I, it is and yeah. i didn't yeah well, and now i see that with, mm-hmm. with my yeah. kid who who uh who loves playing but i do have to push her to go practice so that's mm-hmm. where that dialogue started with my mom because i said hey did you have did you make me do this and she said no i never made you do it. You always just naturally went over and did it. You know, not for again, not for long periods of time at that mm-hmm. age. But it is. It's interesting, right? It's like getting. If I feel like there's some like maybe born, you know, like some innate ability to like just being drawn to the thing and just. I I remember that too. I started out playing trumpet, and when I switched to drums, especially, I just remember always being excited to practice, and I still love practicing. I just love it. I've always been that way. It's funny, yeah. but I think for younger kids, it's, it's rare and it's always a fine line of how much you push them, you know, cause you, I'm, for me, at least I'm always aware of not 
having it be a negative association or a turnoff. Like it's another thing like your homework and your practicing and like one of those tasks you have to do, but getting people into it enough to the point where they do start to enjoy it. that's the trick. Bingo. And that's for me, same with my daughter. Exactly that. Because I don't, I don't want her to hate it or hate music or, you know, I want her to love it. Like we love it. Yep. But it is interesting, right? Like Mike. So yeah, my mom for me, it just kind of, it just kind of happened. I just always loved doing it. Plus, she played music in the house all the time. So it was always around. She plays ragtime, Dixieland, piano. Mm-hmm. So that was always wow. going on. So it was always fun. And I, I got my first drum set when I was three from Santa. And so I would play with her. Awesome. And she would always say, y- you need drums are, which this is interesting thinking of this now. She'd always say, "Drum, you don't just beat on drums. Drums are a musical instrument. When you play them, you need to play with me. So we play together, but I never, man, to I, get just that alone to get that message at three years old. You're, I mean, some people never get that. Yeah. yeah right. No. That's, that's, <laughs> this is, that's very true. Yeah. And so that's there's, awesome. there's lots of video of that, but I never, but I wasn't drawn to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, until I was 11 when mm-hmm. I dove in, like, you know, we did head first then it was, it was fun. And then it had the, it was like a Sears drum set that the, had the paper heads on it. Mm-hmm. And so when the heads broke, it was over and then I got another one and then those heads broke and then it was done. Right. And then nothing. You need to get like an years. office depot endorsement to replace your heads on that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I think that was a huge part of it. Just playing with her. I never remember playing by myself when I was three and four, mm-hmm. we would just, she'd play maple leaf rag and I would just jam with her. And I watch the videos now and I'm like, I no one showed me how to play and my hands look like okay yeah and my time is okay and but it was but it was oh but i guess where you've got me thinking about this a lot and now it's like it was always fun right like i'm gonna sit down and it's just gonna be fun Mm -hmm. and so that probably led to me wanting to play piano because i wanted to play like her and my dad is way into music. He didn't play. He he played, you know, like clarinet in high school. So he, he never played anything around the house. So there was always a love of music. Going but he, on. even uh, like just routine exercise stuff when you are doing your practicing, back in the beginning or now, it's not a chore, right? Like like it, like everything, just like technique and timing. This is all you associate it with fun and and enjoyment rather than oh, this is something that I have to do. I've never once in my life thought this is something I have to do. Mm-hmm. It's always been fun. I, and the like, reason I, I dig it, this is, is past guests that we've, we've talked about. Um, some people have said that they had to, you know, kind of turn the switch on to go, okay, I need to practice because this is going to lead to this kind of thing. And it was always them trying to convince themselves that either I have a result coming from this, it's for a bigger purpose or convincing themselves that it was going to be fun. Uh, so you saying that I just I think it validates the point for everybody out there is I mean obviously we know we have to practice right to to get better but if you don't just naturally want to practice and I think the three of us are we like practicing you know mm-hmm. whatever it is um, that you have to frame it where it is enjoyable even the most routine stuff where you know that that you can almost say it's not musical to think of it as fun because that way it translates and you're constantly training yourself in this enjoyment. Um, kind of feeling that will go into your live playing as well. So it's it's cool to hear that that um, you know you've had that right from the beginning. It's 
so there was a moment for me. Um, so I, I started playing. So I, I went to trumpet, like I said, and then I started, and then I got braces, and it started tearing my lip up. And I went into the band director and said, "I want to, I like, I can't deal with this anymore." And so she said, "Okay, let's change instruments." And so we went through all the instruments, and I ended up landing on snare drum. Now, as an s- interesting side note to this, um, I found her on Facebook. She's still alive, thank God. And I found her on Facebook like a year ago, and I wrote her, and I said, and I, she doesn't know anything. What's going? She doesn't Incredible. know. As I wrote oh, her, man. I said, you're not probably going to believe this, but like <laughs> you, you told, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you made me go to snare drum, or not made me, but she helped me pick snare drum in that moment. Right. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. And now this is what I do for a living. Yeah. And what, and she, I mean, what an awesome <clears throat> message for her to receive. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's why people do it, you know, to get a message yeah. like that, just like, I'm sure it makes it all worth it. You like, know, like, awesome. th- like 30, exactly 30 years later. Wow. And the interesting thing that I, that like blew me away was she said, she couldn't believe it. First of all, she wrote me right back. And then she said, you're not going to believe this. But she said, I remember in my whole teaching career, I only let three people change instruments. Wow. <laughs> she said I was a, re- she was a whole, this whole part in the email. She said, I was a real stickler for that. Like you pick it, you stick with it. But for whatever reason, I guess braces and bleeding <laughs> like, <laughs> probably helped my case. Wow. And she said, she, she said, I remember you because I never let anybody do that. But I thought oh, I'll let this kid do this. That's awesome. And then here we are like somehow. Um, so I, so I switched to drums and then Jason, then there was a most, there was a moment. So I started playing in jazz band in middle school and I wasn't practicing a ton. It was always, I loved it. It was mm-hmm. fun. And then I went to see a drum clinic and the other drummer in jazz band with me. So I started taking lessons, you know, around town, mm-hmm. learned how to play jazz beat. Number one, somehow got in jazz band. The other drummer who was a year older than me said, hey, there's a drum clinic this Saturday. My dad's taking me. You, you can go with us if you want, if you want to ask your parents. And I said, you know, a drum what? You know, a drum <laughs> clinic, what's that? And, you know, so I asked my parents. They're like, sure. And so I go, and it was Greg Bizonette. Nice. So that was the day for me. Watch it. Like, I remember that day. I remember everything about that whole day, not just the clinic, but the day. And I remember watching mm-hmm. him and he was playing, it was on the skyscraper tour, yeah. David Lee Roth. And he's playing along with these tracks and he has this nine piece double bass kit and everything about it was life changing. And that's the day when I was like, I need to practice because I want to be that guy. Right. Wow. Cause that's right. my goal in life starting now is I want to be Greg Bizonette. Mm-hmm. And how old were you for that? So I was, that was, I was, I guess I'm, th- I was probably 12. Yep. It was, it was January. I think I was 12. Wow. So I'd played drums, uh, for real for like, like 14 months or so. <laughs> so that was the moment for me when I was like, okay, now, and now I see why I need to practice more than, you know, 20 minutes a day. Right. And then it like immediately went to four hours a day. Oh my gosh. Wow. It was just like, I come home from school and just would play until the neighbors said, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. No, I think that's, but, that's cool. Um, I mean, right there, I think could be uh, an explanation of success. It's turning towards the challenge rather than a- away from it, because you could have been 12 years old. You go and you see this professional musician. They've got, you know, everything right in front of you and they're, and they're, they're playing the lights out. 
and you could you very well could have been like yo I, I can't do that you know i'm not gonna be able to do that but like you go the opposite route and go whoa i'm gonna be that guy i'm gonna be better than that guy like this is gonna be me so like taking on that challenge i mean that stokes the fire and you, and you keep going with that have, has there ever been a point in your career to this point where you you haven't been in that mindset or is it always just growth mindset i got this full steam ahead it's always been like that and i'm i think that was just instilled in me from my parents what did they say or what well, did they yeah what one thing i always remember them saying is so then when i started taking it real serious and then started practicing all the time and i remember my my parents you know my mom would always say you know there's there's always going to be somebody better. They'll, there will always be someone better than you. So you need to keep practicing because around the corner, there's going to be somebody that's better than you forever. And I remember her saying that and that sort of stoking the fire as well, thinking like, okay, because then, I mean, you guys know, like you, you work your way up the ladder, like in middle school band, because you're in your own environment. And then you go to high school and then you're a freshman and then there's these, you know, these dudes who are total badasses mm-hmm. and you look up to those dudes and then they graduate and then like slowly you work up that ladder and it was, it's always like trying to be better. And I, and I was never I, like every situation, like middle school, high school, college, you know, now, of course, you know, there's like, there's, I've always started at like the bottom rung on the ladder and just sort of work my way. I've never been like, I have friends who are unbelievable musicians who like went into high school and were like freshmen and like, you know, the top drummer in the band, you know, and stuff like that. But that was never me. It was always kind of chip one, away one at the stone. At yeah. Yeah. No, you know? same here. Like I've never blown anybody away ever. And so I've just sort of just kind of chipped away at that. But, but my, you know, my mom always saying, you know, I you know, practice every day and she'd be home and you know, my dad would still be at work, and I remember coming upstairs, and you know, from the from the basement in Denver, there's not basements here. Uh, from the basement, I remember my mom saying, "You know, you know, you know, keep practicing because you know there's always somebody better." And so that was probably part of that. Yeah, have you ever like, read the book called Mindset by Carol Dweck? No, I mean this is exactly what what she talks about. Yeah. You know, is it's, is right. like it's basically like how to. It's a it's a book not so much about parenting, but. It, really focuses on on parenting about like the words that you use around people that show enthusiasm about something really uh crafts how they're going to go in the future like if you oh, if you yeah. tell them oh my gosh you're amazing how did you get so good you're you know and, and all this stuff they're gonna they're gonna peak out but if you take the other path like what your mom's doing saying you're good but there's always going to be someone that's going to be just pushing a little bit harder so you better keep pushing that's how people continue to grow and what they call the growth, the growth mindset. Um, so having that, I mean, is, is essential. And I, I don't know any professional musicians off the top of my head that don't have this, but um, uh, the reason I, I bring this up is I think it's a, it's a good moment for, for a lot of our listeners who, uh, if they are in music college, don't think that you're the best right? Don't have an ego coming out of music college thinking, oh, I, I have a degree from Berkeley now or whatever. You got to keep going, right? And can you just speak to that a little bit, about the importance of that? And, and especially like for young musicians, young drummers. Yes. So you always have to keep going. And so, so like you're going, you're working your way up that ladder, 
But there, and then you move, it's like the fish in the pond. So there's always a bigger pond. There's always bigger fish. So you get, you're in your environment, but then you're going to move to another environment and it's a whole game changer. And the ego thing, like I've taught for a long time and there's, I've, I've met a lot of people that, that come out of school and have a big ego. And at the end of the day, you're hanging out with people more than you're playing music. So like my gig that I do now, like we're on a bus. I I leave next Tuesday for seven and a half weeks. So the show is, is like, you know, and sound check and everything, let's say is roughly five to six hours of the day. The rest of that time you're on top of each other in a bus for seven and a half weeks. So if there's, if you're around somebody like that, would not be fun and if you have that mentality i i recommend just kind of checking yourself because you can you can change your mentality on that and that will help you get the gig because because if you're if i'm a band leader and i'm choosing people to be in my band i want people to be with me that are going to be cool be fun to be around all the time being around that's not fun all the time doesn't that, matter how good the music doesn't matter is. How, right exactly yeah and we and we've talked about that and you know I'm sure you guys have too like it's you know with with my band and with other bands like I'd rather have somebody in my band who's like a B level player and an awesome person with no ego and fun to be around than someone who's an A plus level player who has a massive ego because you have to be with them and you know eat every meal with them all the time and that can really get wearing you know on you after a while so that's a great point. Like that's definitely something to think about. And I never thought about that. I remember reading magazines when I was a kid and being like, you know, oh, you know, why is so and so no longer in White Snake or you know whatever band? <laughs> and so when you're 12, you know, your mind concocts all these reasons why so and so is not in, you know, White Snake or whatever band. They didn't it is. have the right leather pants. Is it right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And they. But then you get older and you realize like, wait, you know, there's all these factors involved in personalities and all this stuff. And that's maybe more important for like doing the road gig thing that, you know, or as important, you know, as, but, as being prepared uh, for the gig. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a common theme. Yeah. I was just going to say, is, go ahead. It's an unbelievably <laughs> common theme. This is episode eight for us. And I think maybe every single person has basically said that exact same thing as we both have as well. But circling back to what you were saying, how you're, you know, you're always climbing the ladder and always trying to get better. And I think it's important for people to realize, let's say you go into high school, you start at the bottom and you climb to the top of the ladder. You're a senior, you're the best drummer in the school, you're in the jazz band. Now you're at the top of that ladder. That's not the time to get the ego and think you've arrived. I always think of it as when you get to the top rung of the ladder you're on, then you start looking for the next ladder to start climbing because there's always another ladder to climb. And I could probably tell you off the top of my head 10 times that in my career where I could look back on it and go, there was a point in my life where I said to myself, if I got X to this point, I've arrived. But then by the time I get to that point, that was my previous arrival point. I'm already looking to where do I go next? What's the next thing I'm trying to achieve? And I think as soon as you do feel that you've actually arrived is when you're going to start to die as a musician. And regardless of what level you're at, I think all successful people are always looking toward the next thing and not thinking that they have arrived. 
that was perfectly well said. Yeah, okay. I like your analogy of like the different ladders. Yeah. Like that's exactly right. And think of it like a video game, you know, you're like climbing the one yeah. and you like jump to the next one and climb that one and then climb the next one. I love that. Yeah, yeah that that's that's awesome. And you're and you're right and it's it's easy when you're in middle school, high school, college to there's one ladder. So mm-hmm. then you move to LA, New York, Nashville, Chicago, wherever it is and think like let's say there's 2000 drummers mm-hmm. in every one of those cities. So there's in effect sort of like 2000 ladders, right? Cause there's like these different pockets of musicians playing with all these different, you know, drummers. Yeah. And you're exactly right. So it's like, and it's, it's a life process. It's not, it yeah. can go on forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And you're right. Like if you, if you think that like you will peak out yeah. and then the thing I see actually, and I saw this the first day I lived in LA and I moved here in 99 I remember meeting guys and, and a couple of guys I met said, they were like, oh man, why, why do you move here, man? There's no gigs. Mm-hmm. And they're super dark. And immediately I remember looking at these guys thinking, okay, this guy seems like he's a nice guy. Something happened and made right. him this really dark guy. <laughs> and just, I was, I was just like, like blinders on like, okay, he's over here. Who All right. You? I'm not going to talk <laughs> like he's, you know, you know, not, I'm, of course I'm going to be, friendly with right, him right. but I'm, i don't want to hang that, out with this guy but you already you have a filter of where you're getting good input from and you consider the source of who's right to you. Yeah. right yeah and and uh and it was that was also a big wake-up call for me thinking and, and i've never been like that but but thinking i i'm not going to be like that like note to self mm-hmm. i'm never going to be that dark jaded guy yep and you know and i do this because it's fun and I'm gonna ch- and I didn't move here to be famous or anything like that. I moved here because I wanted to play drums and yeah. hopefully make a living doing what I love playing drums and hitting stuff with pieces of wood yeah <laughs> and hopefully there's a way to make a living doing well, like that. you know Neil, so. Neil Peart said I never wanted to be famous I just wanted to be good yeah right that's, exactly you know and that's yeah. the mentality yeah two things my teacher used to say to me all the time he always used to say there will always be someone better than you and someone worse than you and you'll always fall somewhere in that spectrum and then the other thing he used to say to me all the time, like when I was thinking about moving out here, he always used to say, there's always room for a good player, you know? Nice. And if you go yeah. in with that attitude, cause you can easily go in with the attitude of like, I'm moving to one of the biggest markets in the world and I'm going to get, you know, drown, I'm going to drown and whatever. And there's no gigs. But if you just go, there's always room for a good player. And if I'm doing my best, then it's going to work out. I mean, going back to what we were saying of like your metric of success, there was a point when I was maybe, 19 where I thought if I can move to LA and play gigs and not move back home after six months, I will have arrived. I've succeeded. And that's not any less true. That's a point of success. That's one notch on the ladder. But once you're there, you're like, Oh, now I want to do the next thing and the next thing and yeah. keep going. And that never ends. Right. Yep. Yeah. That, that never ends. Yep. Well, that's a good point about uh, how you handle influence. So right there, you had a decision to make when that, when that guy, you know, was telling you that this is a tough place to make it. And I remember something like that happening to me before I, about two months before I moved out here, being in a guitar shop. And I told the guys there, I'm you know, moving to LA, I'm going to try and make it out there. And the guy, like his face dropped and said, like, why would you want to do that? You're never going to make it out there, man. It's too hard. And just that feeling of like, yo, this is negative, man. Like, yeah. I don't want to be around this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like, I yeah. want to associate it with like 
optimism. You know, I'm, I don't care if, I, if I'm going to fail. I want to at least try. You know, so I think it's important for people listening to, to listen to your story and recognize that we all have choices, right? Like you're going mm-hmm. to be influenced positive or negative. Right. And it's just recognizing that somebody else's negativity doesn't mean that's your story, you know, and that you have the ability to go, you know what, it, it might be hard. I mean, I think we could all tell you that it is hard uh, out here, but if you continue to go at it like full force, not letting the negative stuff get in your way, that, you know, things are going to happen, like good things are going to happen. So it, I think that's cool that you, br- you brought that story up. Uh, for for other people to hear because everybody's going to experience that stuff. That yeah, and you know, you, I haven't thought about this for a long time. You made me think about this. Um, I remember experiencing that like even in right when I started playing drums from other kids in school, because so the Bizonet moment happened for me, and I was like, okay, like that. There were two moments for me. That was the one where I was like, okay, like I'm going to be that guy. So it was like half my chips, so to speak. I was like, I'm putting them all on, you know, on mm-hmm. red. I'm like, cool. Like we're go- we're going for this. And then in middle school's rough, right? For a lot of people, it was like it was for me. And there were a lot of kids that were not nice. And I remember there was one kid in particular that was like, "Oh yeah, oh Ryan wants to be a drummer. Oh that's funny. Oh he, you know." And there, I remember that, and that also spurred me on for whatever reason. From I remember thinking, you know what? I'm gonna prove that guy wrong, right? Yeah. Like, I, like, and it, me, right. it made me even want to practice more when I was 12, 13, and then. I remember seeing him in the hall in high school and every time I saw him, like, you know, you know, years go by and like, he wouldn't say anything, but I always, of course, remember that because it's kind of traumatic. And I remember thinking, you know what, you know, like, like I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to do it. Have like, you sent you know, him any Facebook messages as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> Have you sought him out that's online? Funny. Do, you, do you want comps to actually, the show tonight? I, that, that's hilarious. I've not, I've not, <laughs> I haven't looked for him. I, yeah, yeah. I will not say his name, but, uh, that yeah, I might. That's really funny, but it, like that that helps you to drive. But you're right. Like the, there's the other side of that is like you could, you could be like, oh man, maybe it is going to be hard. Yeah, I know. I've never been. I've never been that way. Yeah, which I is which either. is a testament to my parents. You know, I guess and and you know it is a testament to them and how I was raised. It was just like you know, just ignore that and just go about what you're going to do. And and then the other so the other moment for me since you mentioned his name so then so then when I saw Rush on the Presto mm-hmm. tour June twenty second nineteen ninety not that I'm counting uh, right after I turned fourteen that was that was the day that when I was you know Biznet was like okay I want to be that guy I'm going to do that but you're still kind of young I saw Rush and that's when it was like okay that's it I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So there was, those were the two moments for me. Yep. And so I remember just watching that show and leaving there. And I was like, okay, game over, yep. done. Yeah. Yeah. Just get, <laughs> yeah. Out, get out of my way. This yeah, right. Like, t- totally like, you know, yeah. peace. Yeah. Well, and that's multiple instances that you've already said of seeing something uh, that's challenging, whether it's someone directly telling you you can't do it or seeing a really high level performance. And all of that spurs you on to want to do better and push harder. And that's, I think, one of the, as a takeaway, a big key to success, you know, a lot of people could see a rush show and be like, Oh, like you were saying earlier, I could never yeah. do that. You know? Yeah. And what I hear, I know you guys have too. like, I've heard this a million times from, from other friends of mine where they'll, they'll be like, Oh, I saw Billy Cobham last night and I made, I wanted to burn my drumsticks when right. I got home. Like, I, I, yeah, I've never once had that thought yeah, for whatever reason. Yeah. I've just, I've always been like, how does he get his hands that fast? How can yeah. I do that? I need to practice on a pillow, you know, or whatever yeah, exactly. it is. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's just, it's just more driven me, to want to do it and 
and it, and it just goes back to like what you said earlier, Jason, just like, it's just fun. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm really lucky. I feel really lucky that I'm do that. I'm able to do it and make a living doing it. Well, you and know, I think, so. uh, I think a reason that you can have that mentality goes back to what you said earlier. When you're playing, when your overall motivation and source of playing is out of love for the instrument and joy of playing, then seeing other great players inspires you. If your motivation is to be famous or any sort of competitive thing, then that's all a threat to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it out of love of the instrument, then it increases your love of the instrument to see someone play really well, I think. Yeah, and and I I used to go see uh, Joey Heredia mm-hmm. and Lave Lee when I moved here. We yeah, me too. Every, every Tuesday. We was, were probably there a lot of the same We nights. probably were. Yeah. Like, it was amazing. Yeah. With Marco and Mendoza. It was when yeah, and Renato yeah. Nato yeah. and, yeah. and Freddie Gruber would hang out there. Oh wow. And then there were a number yeah. of times because Joey was taking lessons from Freddie Gruber, and then we would all go hang out, and Freddie would talk about that a lot. He, about students that he would have who would like their sole goal in life was to like get an endorsement deal right. with whatever company. Right. And and that's like that I've never had that thought either. It was just like right. I love drums yep. and let's just let's see if we can somehow make this happen and then i know for all of us like a big part of us having supportive parents yeah mm-hmm. yep. that you know i mean i'll i'll tell you like you know at first you know my parents like you know oh that's right you know oh, well you should probably have a backup plan you right. know like i'm sure all of our parents did so having the support of them then you know letting them you know kind of allow you to go on this path the, I always used know. to say to my parents that my backup plan is to have no backup plan. Yeah. And I was dead serious about that because <laughs> in my first few years out here, if I had a backup plan, I may have done it. You know, and you're, oh, sure. dude, you're yeah. 100% right. You know, yeah. I tell students that at MI all the time. Yeah. So if you, I, I agree with that 100%. Like if yeah. you go, if you move to whatever city it is and you're like, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go into real estate or whatever yeah. it is. You're going to go into real estate. That'll always be <laughs> in the back hard. of your mind. Yeah. yeah. And But if you go in, like I always say, steamship full steam ahead yep. like like just go in like this is the goal you're you're totally yep. right like when you, you have will, no choice yeah. to this day what else am i gonna do this is yeah. it man i still you gotta make it work yeah right exactly <laughs> every single yeah. day every day so how are you pushing yourself now like like how are you continuing to improve as a player like do you are you recording what you do like not just your live shows <laughs> that, that you're doing but like just your your technique and everything how are you continuing to improve well, so for me, the gig that I have, so playing with Dweezil, my day job, so to speak, is is trying to replicate Vinnie Caliuta, Terry Bozio, Chad Wackerman, Chester Thompson, Ralph Humphrey, Ainsley Dunbar, Ainsley Dunbar, and that's a very daunting task, <laughs> to say the least. So for so because of the gig I have, it's like, it's sort of a built in Mm -hmm. thing where I'm like constantly trying to get better at replicating those guys who are all like some of the best drummers in the history of time. So for me, I figured out years ago, listening, just listening for me is a massive thing. So I got tendonitis really bad when I was 19, like right when I got to college and I ended up having to quit playing for nine months. And in that, that's actually another good example of all this. There were a number of people who were like, you might as well just quit and do something else because your arms you know, probably aren't going to recover. And I was like, no, 
I'm going to take some time off and I'll be okay. So what I figured out in that time was, and I didn't figure this out till after it was over, but I quit playing for nine months, started playing again, started working my way up the ladder at Indiana University and getting my arms kind of back in shape. And during that nine months, I listened to music like 12 hours a day. And then when I went back and started playing again, I knew immediately when I started playing that I was way better than I was before. And I remember thinking, how is that possible? I haven't even touched a pair of drumsticks for nine months. And for me, I realized the power of listening. And so if I can think of it or hear it in my head, then I can kind of make it come out. So for me, it's like equal part listening, equal part practicing. Mm-hmm. I kind of figured out from that, from that experience. And everybody else around me at that point in time, they were saying like, wow, like, you know, you sound, you know, way better. And I remember thinking, I don't know why, like, why do I sound better? So the answer to your question, it's, I, I listen a lot and there's a million Frank Zappa live recordings. So I'll just listen to tons of that and hear different things that Bozio would do and Vinny would do and Chad would do and Chester would do in these scenarios and how they would react differently you know, Frank would play some guitar line and then, you know, it's like a choose your own adventure book. Like, okay, so Frank plays this line so I can go down one of these three paths. Mm-hmm. Which path am I going to choose? And you have that long to decide what path you're going to go down. So I'm like, I'm trying to get in their head as much as like physically being able to pull it off. So I know, okay, he would probably choose the path on the right that goes through the forest, you know, by the lake where Chester goes down the staircase and goes into the uh, onto the second floor and goes to the vending machine and gets a, a zinger you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know whatever the path is so that you know and then the the practicing thing just just trying to for me just playing along with those records mm-hmm. are you listening um, back to yourself at all so we record every show and we listen to every show on the bus after the show wow that's awesome so I've done 373 shows with Dweezil and, and then we get on the bus and, and we listen to it in the front lounge. It's not the next morning or anything. It's after the it's that night. Yeah. That's so we have, wow. we have a sound check at five and there's people, there's an audience that comes to the sound check that buys sound check tickets. So the sound check is usually an hour and a half. And then the show is like around three hours straight, no break. The last one we did was like three hours, 23 minutes. Straight, so I've got some good calluses going on right now, <laughs> and then we get and then we get on the bus afterwards, and we listen to the show. Is that like a mandatory? Is it like come hang out and listen, or go to bed if you want, or is it like everyone's gonna come check it out? And it's a good it? question. No, it's it's he Dweezil listens to it every night, mm-hmm. and, and he, you can do it or not, right. and I love it. Yeah, I love sitting there listening to myself going, okay, that was cool, that could have been a little bit better, right. You know, I could have reacted differently because, you know, it's a lot of improv stuff. So I'm like, I could have chosen the, you know, the middle staircase on this choose your own adventure mm-hmm. uh, path, you know, or I could have done, I maybe I didn't need to do this metric modulation this early. <laughs> all, this, all this stuff that doesn't happen on many other, <laughs> on, if I did this on any other gig, I would lose the gig. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it's a lot, a lot of that. And he, and, and we just sit there and listen to it and I'll just you know, kind of remember what I did and what I could do differently tomorrow, what I liked, what I didn't like. I mean, so, so that's you're, a, oh, go ahead. That's, that's another three hours of your day then. Yeah. That's where yeah, I was going. Yeah. At. Yeah. So you're talking about like a three hour show, a three hour review, and then almost a two hour sound check. I mean, that's a full work day. 
So, I mean, anybody you know, listen to this thinking that, oh my gosh, you got this amazing gig and that's it. Don't kid yourself. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it, you are putting in the time, no doubt. It's a, it's an, and then I'll usually fall asleep listening to like, you know, some bootleg from 73. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all consuming. Figure. It is definitely, it's all consuming. And now for me, it's been all consuming with Frank since I was like 13, 14 years old. Like I've been, I was all in. You'd be listening to it that much anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Me, you know, me and Kurt, the bass player and Adam Minkoff, uh, our singer, like we've all been like way in, like since we were kids. Oh, yeah. And so I've always, you know, worshiped it and loved it. And for me, it's, that's why it's the dream gig. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, like every gig, in you know you can make you know every gig is you can always practice more you know and you know make it feel better make your time better make the fills better and for this it's it's i'm trying to channel these guys and it's like i can it's never ending i can always you know attempt to channel them more and my whole first tour i did with dweezil was 86 shows and every single person in the crowd was looking at me like oh god who's this new drummer <laughs> you know arms crossed staring at me the whole time so i knew i had to win these people over right but then or try to win them over but you've been training for that your whole life you know what i mean with the adversity overcoming the adversity like people say no you're not going to be able to do this and then yeah you know, here you are you're like yeah i got this so and i knew that was you know and as a fan of the band because i saw the band probably 15 times before i got the gig as a fan, I would all I would feel the same way. I'd be like, "Oh wow, I hope this guy can try to pull this off, you know, yeah. <laughs> and not fail." So, but the practicing thing for it's just it's never ending. Yeah, I mean, even if I even if somebody is trying to be like a a Vinny clone, that's never ending in itself. So, like you know. So I think this is a, a good segue into like your process, you know, like and specifically like your mental process. Uh, so kind of two parts to this question. What's your process when you're not on the road? I mean, when you're not doing eight hours of this, you know, you're at home, obviously, you know, you have a family and everything. But what is like your daily routine as, as far as you know, like any mental prepping that you do before your personal practice? And then what is your process before a gig m- mentally, not physically? So when I'm off the road, when I'm in town, I play in a few original bands around town. There's a David Bowie impersonator I played with for 15 years, and there's a corporate band I play in all the time. That's pretty all-consuming when I get back, like prep for all of that stuff. Um, and then the and then family time and getting caught up on family time. Um, so when I, when I get home until we start like a rehearsal process, which we just ended yesterday where we rehearsed for, for two weeks, seven hours a day. Um, I don't necessarily practice, like actually practice a ton. And Dave, we've talked about this mm-hmm. the other day too. It's like my, I listen a ton and I get caught up on family time and, and focus on those other gigs, which is also a lot of, a lot of prep work. Mm-hmm. And then once we, you know, I know the rehearsal period is coming up, then I'll start working on stuff again. And Dweezil will say, okay, we're doing these six new songs. I'll start working on those new songs and reviewing the material and start to getting back into that. Um, so before, like before I had a kid though, I would, I would practice more, but now I, I put a lot of time into that. Um, before shows. So, 
the first thing, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I can't leave the stage. So I set an alarm. So one hour before showtime, I stopped drinking all fluids because I cannot go to the bathroom during the show. Oh, yeah. Three-hour so, shows. Huh? And that took me a while to figure out like what that was going to be. So my process for like food nutrition wise and sleep schedule. And this took me probably about 50 shows to figure out what works best for me. I'll stay up and go to bed at like six or seven in the morning and then get up at like 3 PM on purpose so that when the show hits, it's for my body. It's like midday. Wow. Because it's a lot of energy. And you, know, I, you don't you don't want the three hour show to be the last three hours of your day when you're exhausted. Bingo. Yeah. So like in like our normal day to day routine of like getting up, mm-hmm. getting, you know, my kid to school at eight in the morning, if I did that and then had to play a three hour show at eight o'clock, like it would be it would be a little yeah. rough if I did that every day. So we're going out next Tuesday and we were we're doing thirty seven shows. Like that that's just not possible. So I flip my schedule. So I'll wake up at like 2, 3 p.m., whatever, walk around for an hour, get the blood flowing, stretch my legs, eat like a large meal, and then I don't really eat a lot of food because I don't like eating a ton of food and then going out and sitting there for three hours either. So I'll have like, you know, a, you know, a peanut butter and honey sandwich, you know, or a cup of yogurt and some chips, you know, or something, you know, nothing really big right before I go on have to stop drinking any fluids like an hour before I go on. So I don't have to leave the stage. So that's the stuff that a lot of you listening might not think about as, as a process. Um, so that's a big part for me. And now the play, the playing thing, like, like I, when I play in general and especially before I go on, like I constantly am thinking about breathing Hmm. and I got, I'm a big sports fan and I got into this from watching baseball. I love watching baseball and I'm watching baseball one day years ago. And every time a pitcher pitches, he sets huge breath pitch. And one day I was like, why don't I do that? I was like, I should sort of the same. And even the motion like for drums is like yeah. similar to pitching. I was like, I should try that. So I ended up writing uh, and my students know this. Like I have like written all over the place, breathe, 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 breathe. So I'm like very aware of like taking massive deep breaths to try to relax myself before I go on stage. You have cues written out for yourself. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so huge to, to help create the habit of, of doing it because, you know, life gets in the way and a, a thousand thoughts cross our mind that we can have the good intention to want to do these kind of things. But I tell students the same thing all the time. And, and that's why I keep sayings around all it's just if you if it's there in your site, it's going to trigger. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. Do you have that like around your kit at all, or like where are where are these uh, these cues? So now, so the breathe thing I've done so long now, I don't have it written anywhere, but I did for years. I had it written on a music stand. Mm-hmm. So that was the big one, and then the other one. And so Dweezil and I work on stuff on the bus, like polyrhythms and all. This is another topic, but like the like the stick control patterns and mm-hmm. he, i've taught him to do them on guitar like he'll do them like, like the up, sti- up down like up like instead of right left right left like up down up awesome. down yeah. so we work on we'll work on stuff like that in doing that he has on his pedal board listen in huge letters hmm. so he looks down at his pedal board and says listen and so i'm you know 
my whole the whole gig is watching him and focusing on him. So I see that all the time. So I see the listen thing in front of me all the time. So I don't have that, but I'm always thinking breathe, and I see in green tape on his pedal board, listen. So those are the kind of the two things constantly going through my head. Phenomenal. But the breathing thing for me is, and you guys know, like if you're playing and it's like hour two and it's some like, and we're doing like keep it greasy and the guitar solo goes on forever. And which is by the way, like the most fun thing ever. What's more fun than soloing in 19? Nothing. <laughs> uh, but like there's a, you know, of course there's a bunch of times where I'm like, man, my arm's getting a little tight. Like my right middle finger feels a little weird. Like my right knee is a little, so a little weird or whatever it is. So I've gotten into this habit and this works for any of you listening. Like I'll take a massive breath and then just kind of close my eyes while I'm playing and imagine the breath like going through my body and into the part of my body that's having pain or tightness hmm. and it will help loosen it or, and, or make the pain go away. It's like yoga for drummers. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like, so like, or like cramping, like I've had cramping stuff sometimes where I'll like one time it was really bad. Like my right calf or like we're playing and it was like hour one of three and I was sitting there and I was just like, ah, I was like, no. Wow. And so I, you know, and there's no, and then we'll, we'll do like nine songs in a row without stopping. Oh my goodness. And so I can't even drink water. So I'll just sit there and just, just try to breathe and just imagine the air going into my right calf and just saying, relax, relax. And wow. that works. Like that's massive for me. Wow. The, for the breathing thing. And then as soon as we have a break, I'll literally just shotgun a bottle of water and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just try and just try to get it, get wow. it in my system. I think that right there is worth the price of the podcast alone. Which is zero, but still, <laughs> that, that was worth listening. Which that was worth listening to the whole podcast alone. <laughs> so that I like that's that's massive, and then and stretching, and and I mean, as I've gotten older, like there's a you know there's a inevitably I think for us as drummers and for everybody, it's like there's like little things, you know, body wise, physically, and when you do a tour that long, also when you do that every day, like stuff will go down and one day, you know, my back will feel horrible. Yeah. And one day my right knee will, you know, and there's always these little things, but it's, I don't let it stop me. I'm just like, okay, how can I deal with this today? And, but that, that breathing thing is huge. Yeah. And I just, love that. I'm going to try that. And so, and so, but before I forget, so the water thing, so I won't drink anything an hour before the show. And then we start the show and it's usually like, you know, five, six, seven, whatever the set list is different. Most nights, the first chance I have to drink water, I'll just chug and then I'll start chugging and I'm sweating so much. I sweat it all out. Mm -hmm. So as soon as the show goes, I just start hydrating like crazy. But oh, so that I was going to actually ask you that you don't drink before, mm -hmm. but there's a point maybe like midway through the show where you will start drinking water because mm -hmm. by that point it's not going to be a problem. It won't be a problem. Yeah. And I'm already sweating so much. Right. And so the normal show, I'll drink like six bottles of water. Right. Wow. Uh, you know, just to, you know, for the, the cramping thing and just hydration. And it depends too, if it's, you know, winter time in Syracuse, New York, or if it's an outdoor festival in Houston in June, right. you know, that's, sure. you know, Different. it kind of depends also, but, uh, but no matter what, like I'm chugging water, like at any opportunity once we start playing. Right. So, so where, where did you, where did you find the breathing technique? Where, like just self-discovery like, like where did this come from so well so the baseball thing was it oh yeah, it, i'm sorry it, no, no it's, yeah, yeah. But it's like that that was a big that was a big part of it 
but but somebody and I don't I don't know where someone at some point in time like mentioned to me like you know like breathe and it may have been my mom even like breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and like trying to take deep breaths it may have been her I don't know remember where exactly where that came from but just trying to relax and also just from playing and trying to not be on top of the beat and I've always like before I got the Dweezil gig I did a lot of session stuff which was the reason why I moved to LA which is another story but uh, doing the session thing, I would realize, okay, if there's like an up-tempo song coming up and I'm like, eh, I could probably go to the bathroom. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to go to the bathroom because like it's an up-tempo thing. It's like, you know, this song sounds like I'm driving down the PCH in a convertible. You want the you energy know, of, I have to get this song over with because I have to go to the bathroom. Totally. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <That's> yes. <funny. laughs> and, it, and it works. That's funny. And then if the next song is like, you know, some, you know, laid back R&B tune at, you know, BPM equals 90, I will 100% go to the bathroom. <laughs> even if I don't rely, I'm like, you know, oh, hold on, you know, let me go to the restroom to make sure yeah. I'm like totally relaxed. <laughs> so, funny. so I've got like got that kind of, kind of got me in the habit of like making sure just my body is in check. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the bat, you know, the bathroom thing, you know, just make, you know, the breathing thing. That's my point is that's gotcha. really kind of the breathing yeah. thing. Like kind of came in, you know, just, <sighs> take a second and just kind of try to relax but but for the live scenario definitely the just watching baseball players do that and i still now like that's all i see like there was a game last night like i'm watching the game every time i see the dude set <sighs> exhale pitch it's um, a marathon game last so, night. Yeah. yeah right yeah so so that that's a big part of all of it mm-hmm. from which none of that has anything to do with actually playing you know well, I mean, it ties into a couple of the core themes that you've talked about today, which is listening, yeah. right? Like you can get a lot of practice done without physically playing, you know, save your body and, and use your mind and then the breathing. And then I just think the overall optimism about things, you know, going into basically any situation uh, with this, I can do it attitude, you know, like, like, let me just keep going and keep striving. So it's, I mean, it's all mental, you know, which is why we're we're here today, you know, like, like discovering this with you. I think it's been just fantastic. Dave, you have, uh, any avenues you want to discover right now? Yeah, I do. Before we run out of time, I've heard you talk about before the rehearsal technique that Dweezil uses of like the drop the needle thing. Mm-hmm. Do you guys still do that? And can you explain to people what that is? And that seems horrifying to me. And I'm just curious <laughs> how you handle that. So on my audition with Dweezil, uh, five and a half years ago, you know, I had to learn like 10 insane Frank Zappa songs. And then we would play them. And then he would say, okay, uh, let's start again from the bridge. Count it off, go. And I was like, okay. And I didn't realize, you know, the moment that it was a test. Right. And then he would say, okay, let's, you know, do keep it greasy or whatever it is, you know, okay, start from the second verse. And like, I'm like trying to think of it. And he'd be like, go, go. Like count it. You know, so that's really not giving you time to think as a test of your retention of the material. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a rehearsal thing too, or is that just the audition? So, so that he did that in the audition, but, but like we played for seven hours yesterday, like that, we will start every song in the middle at some point. So that's a good, that's a good thing for everybody out there listening to learn, no matter what the song is, if it's back in black, right? 
like try with your band starting back in black from the second verse and see if everybody can remember it. And I like I the analogy I always use is like a boulder, like at the top of the hill, like the song starts and you like let the boulder go and the boulder like goes all the way down the hill. But what if you start the boulder like in the middle of the hill? It's way harder. Right. And, you know, for everybody involved and, and like yesterday for us, the, our our singer was not there. So it's even harder when there's mm-hmm. no, no lyrics to go by. Yeah. And so really, it's a massive mental test. Right. But from a rehearsal standpoint, so it's, it's you know, it's just very effective because it saves time. So like we're yesterday running like 37 songs or whatever it was. And so starting a 10 minute song from the second bridge means we can do three more songs, you know, and you know cram into the rehearsal. So, so make sure you know the form of the song you're playing, no matter what it is, if it's an Avril Lavigne tune or whatever it is. Right. And just practice knowing the forms of songs. And, and we've talked about this a lot, uh, mm-hmm. like charting stuff. Yes. Well, that, yeah, that's where I was about to go next. <laughs> and like, and like, that's for me is like game changer, like charting out, like just get used. If you don't chart out songs, practice charting out anything. Yep. How long is the intro, the verse, the pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, re-intro how long are all these sections of the songs and then try dropping the needle on them while you're playing right and see what happens yeah and something that's happened for me once i've charted it out i have a very visual memory and so when i'm trying to remember things i literally will picture the chart much much more so than being able to recall it by hearing it or thinking about it is i will actually picture especially if it's a chart that i made myself because the process of making the chart, of course, helps you learn as well. I agree with you 100%. And he, like even the, the Frank tunes that, that I know by heart, mm-hmm. and Dweezil says, hey, we're gonna do this song, and, I, and if I've never played it before, I'll chart it out anyway, even if I already know it. Because right. then, and I by no means have a photographic memory, but exactly, then like I'll see it in my head. I can see like, okay, it's eight, eight. And then I got to remember that reintro is four, right? Four bars instead of eight, you know, or the next bridge is six bars. Like it just, it really solidifies. And I'm with you. Like, like I even just, I'm not even thinking about it. Like I kind of close my eyes. Like I can kind of see it pop yep. up in my head. Yeah. And that, that the charting thing is massive. Another thing that's been great for me is, and a friend of mine told me this years ago is figuring out BPMs of songs. Mm-hmm. So take all your favorite songs that you know and figure out what BPM they are. So you know if somebody says, if I'm on a session like with you and you say, okay, uh, this song's at 137. I know, okay, so Dream Please by Cheap, by Cheap Trick is 137. So I can start singing Dream Please and I'm like, so I already, I don't even need to look at a metronome. I can look at it to get it so totally locked in, but I have like a million markers in my head for tempos. I do the exact same thing. I used yeah. to play a game with my son called the Tempo Game. Awesome. I would, and we would do it going both directions. Say a BPM and try to tap it out or hear someone tap a tempo and try to name the BPM to internalize. But what you just said is exactly right. Learning, um, having certain songs as references that you know, that, that a song you know so well in your head, you can translate that BPM. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. like for us, like people, you know, from 120, there's a bunch of references, but any Rush fan, stick it out is 120. Oh, yeah. 
So I just sing that riff. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got 120. So I, I have, I have like many, many spiral notebooks at home, just full of BPMs, <laughs> which you probably or have just... on Dropbox now, right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I should, I should, uh, but I do not, but, but Dave, I will work on this <laughs> on my Dropboxing and my, uh, use of technology when I'm on the road. <laughs> Ryan still uses carrier pigeon to transport his charts. <laughs> Ryan and our mutual friend Kevin Stevens have started a a, a shared Dropbox folder of our charts, and uh, the silence is deafening from the Ryan Brown <laughs> contributions of the charts. Let me talk about how awesome Dave Johnstone and Kevin Stevens are right now, and uh, I'll respond to those emails sometime. <laughs> but I, I, I have like binders at home, like full of. My dad got mad at me the other day. Who's seventy three? And it's probably more to technology than I am. And he's looking at my Zappa book and he's like, what are you going to do if that gets stolen? Well, I'm like, what, like, and I'm like, well, that's what I was going to say. It makes me nervous just purely from a backup standpoint. Yeah. At, when I make charts now, I literally put the paper in the recycling. I don't even keep it because it's so many places digitally. My oh, brain, my brain cannot compute that sentence that you just said. <laughs> I like, I just had like a panic attack for a second when you said like, got rid of the sheet of paper. Well, like, cause then it's just like, clutter. It's on Dropbox. It's on my phone. It's on my laptop. It's on an external drive. It's on, and anyway, back to the BPM thing real quick. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to recommend an app to everybody. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you know this app live BPM. Yes. I use that all the time. Okay, I love cool. that one. Do yeah. you use it live? Yes. Cool. I do too. So yeah. what light, do you know, live BPM? It's a, no. It's I'm, I'm sure that, I've seen you use it before. Yeah, you can. Uh, it's an iPhone app, and it will listen to you playing and tell you the BPM you're playing at. So I'll use it yeah. live to check my own tempos. I will also use it when I'm listening to a recording and have to chart out a song and have to take down a BPM off a recording. Yep. I mean, b- prior to this, it was metronomes with a tap function, tap tempo, which is you know reasonably successful most of the time. But this thing, you just open the app and set it there. And it'll even track the rushing and slowing down. It'll go up and down with you if it's within a certain margin of, you know, it can't be drastic, but that is like three bucks and it's the best app I could ever recommend to any musician. It's amazing. So valuable. Yeah. And I use yeah. it when I'm teaching and if I have somebody playing along, yep. like, you know, here, play Billy Jean. Right. You know, count, it, count it from like, or 117. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I'll have it, have it there and. And yeah, and then you can see it. You yep. can see it go by. There's also a great website for BPMs called like oh, songbpm.com, yes. I think it is. And there's another one that's this is fun called I think I can't remember the URL, but if you put in Google search in search of the click track, and I don't know who did this, but this guy took all these songs and ran them through some program that he made to tell if a song was recorded to a click or not. <laughs> and so then it graphs it. Wow. And I've like I've gone down the rabbit hole on that and spent like tons of hours and yeah. you can search search for any song and then like so like the example on the front page i think is so lonely by the police oh and so yeah. there's like there's a graph and then there's i'm gonna say that's a no on click. that's yeah, <laughs> you are you are correct my friend and so there, it's like all over the right. place like i'm waving my finger in the air right now it's like it's like all over the place on the on the graph and then you put in you know some new pop song and it's sure. a, straight, it's a line. straight line and then you can tell uh like if they if they did it quantized it and then tried to make it have human feel because then it's like a like a little squiggly line where like you can see the yeah. hum- so that's fun perfectly to see. imperfect exactly yeah. yeah it's like it's like it they tried to do it but that's a fun website to check out too. you know what else runners use that a lot because runners have you're supposed to run to a certain cadence uh-huh. and when i was like training for a half marathon and stuff 
you I would run to a click track because you want hmm. a certain cadence of steps per minute. And I would use songs that were at that same tempo. Yeah. And that's a breathing thing too that I learned. When you're running, you want to inhale for three steps and exhale for two steps. And you go oh. in fives. I would always do that when I'm running. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we should figure out and write a, a blog about uh, what BPM you're playing at and what kind of groove and how many bars you should play while you're inhaling and how many bars while you're exhaling. Dude. So you do the huge. notebook. Dave will type it in. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll scan it. Yes. I'll, you, That's awesome. You write it out with pen and pencil. I'll scan it for you. <laughs> yeah. I feel you on that. Though. I carry around notebooks of just like I write all my thoughts and everything down, just pen and paper. I did. I did uh, um, Evernote for a while, and, and then I was just like, you know, I need to. I need to feel it, and I need to be able to write these things out. Oh, I have to say, so I get made fun of for this all the time. I'm showing them my planner. Like this is like I don't. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Like uh, that's your planner. Yeah. Okay. If, if like, so, like, obviously gosh, you're, people can't right see this, but um, <laughs> but Ryan has his has his planner out. And if you've ever seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the 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 book that that they have in that, where it's just like little maps and everything. This why, is what it looks like. Why is most of it scribbled out? That's stuff that I, I I have to do, but I don't need to remember. And the rest of it's like a diary. So like so like yeah. For so it's example, like a planner and a to do list. It's it like is yeah yeah. So like yesterday was our last Dweezil Zapper rehearsal, and it was it was my wedding anniversary. So I need to remember that. <laughs> but I don't I don't need to remember that you know I had to take the trash out wow. or cross it out. I'm insane, basically. Wow, man. So it's, yeah. Oh and, no. And, and I need to. And I and I need to. Uh, uh, do all my PDFs of my charts and Dave. Yes, I will. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> we'll work on wow. it. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's, we'll bring it to a close here. And uh, this has been a real pleasure having you, but uh, final thoughts for people coming out of music college or just starting their career, a piece of advice that you'd like to leave them with. Don't give up there. And, and it's, it's all about persistence and just, just if, if this is what you want to do for a living, there is a way to make it happen. Pick a city for whatever reason, wherever you want to go and move there. And a bunch of people have told me this and over the course of time, like move there and don't leave because once you leave and go to another city, it's hard to restart. It's like starting again. So, so pick some place and like what you said earlier, Dave, about the backup plan, like the whole mindset of just go there with the full intention of this is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. And, and don't, don't look back, don't look for a backup plan and give yourself time. It just takes time. Don't, don't say, okay, if nothing happens in three months, it's not going to happen. That's not enough time. Right. And if there's a way three years might not be enough time, three years. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Like I studied with Kenny Aronoff for in college and he used to say seven to 10 years. Yeah. And I remember coming out of college thinking, oh man, that's a lot of time. And then like it was odd, oddly like around the seven year mark for me is when I was lucky enough to be on a record that went gold. I got my first gold record. And I remember calling him thinking like, I, I told him, I was like, that was about seven years. He was like, I told you. Yeah. But just, just go for it. And if there's a way to have enough funds to support yourself for a while, like, like I did a cruise ship gig for a year before I moved to LA. So I had enough money to live for three months and not do anything. I just saved all the money on the ship. So I knew when I moved to LA, I'd had, th I had this three month cushion to go out every night, try to meet people, 
try to figure out what I was going to do. And then was I successful at the end of that three months? Of course not. So then I had a bunch of odd jobs like over the years and then just went out all the time. Networking is massive. Mm-hmm. Like figure out like where everybody's going just to meet people. And there's a bunch of, you know, online places to do that. Go to clubs, go to jam sessions. Yeah. Art Blakey yeah. said, if you're not appearing, you're disappearing. Yeah. Totally. So true. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just, if, you know, if, if you want it bad enough, like it will happen mm-hmm. and there's, and there's a way to do it. Excellent. So just keep going and, and, and keep a, a positive mindset. Uh, this has been phenomenal having you here today. And, oh, well, and thanks. you know, I think, I mean, the audience is definitely going to get a lot out of this. So listen back again, because there were so many little gems that came out of it, not just for drummers listening, but, but for all musicians listening. I was just going to say, I think we did a really good job of not talking about like wing nuts and <laughs> stuff like that, you know. I think we Save that very, for a very conversation. Very <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. No, our pleasure. I really awesome, appreciate man. it. Thank it you. was really, really fun. Our pleasure. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.